folks, you know, have access to basically computers in terms of their smartphones um, all the time. They're with them all the time. They're usually the first thing they um, check in the morning and the last thing they check at night. And um, it allows us to reach people in a more personal way. That was Dr. Lisa Hightow-Weidman. She's an associate professor in the School of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's also the principal investigator of the Behavior and Technology Lab at Carolina and the UNC Emory Center for Innovative Technology. Welcome to Well Said. This is Carolina's official storytelling podcast. Saturday, December 1st is World AIDS Day. Every year since 1998, December 1st has been dedicated to raising awareness about the AIDS pandemic caused by the spread of HIV. On this week's episode, Lisa will share how she uses technology to provide HIV and AIDS interventions, such as a social networking app for newly diagnosed HIV-positive young men. Lisa says she first became interested in working with people who had HIV when she was in medical school. And this was sort of an earlier time when um, we didn't have as great a treatments as, um, as we do now, and so folks actually um, didn't do as well, and, and, and they would often come into the hospital pretty sick, and, and some um, didn't make it. And I think for me, what I was really drawn to was that it was a population that was really impacted by the stigma of the disease and the stigma of having something that they maybe didn't tell their families about or, or their friends um, and would come to the hospital alone. As I continued to train, that became something that was really important to me, um, both in working with patients and then as I developed a research career and thinking about how to address that stigma to get more folks uh, to know their status earlier, to get them into care, and to help them get the support they need to, to do well. So um, for me, I think my passion for HIV stemmed from kind of the, the medical side of things, but also the social th- side of things. The stigma around HIV and AIDS seems to be the biggest hurdle. Treating HIV is easy. It's you know, one pill once a day. Um, and the pills are, are, are tolerable. You know, they don't make people sick. They're really easy. I mean, probably easier than diabetes. You know, certainly easier than having to do insulin and monitor your blood glucose multiple times a day. However, folks have a hard time taking medicines every day because it's a reminder that they have HIV. And for some, um, you know, that's still the stigma around sort of how they got HIV or why they were affected by HIV and, and the, the judgment that they get from families um, and and. and friends or people who they thought were friends, and society in general is, is still there. And I think that's, you know, it's unfortunate. It stems from, you know, um, homophobia, transphobia, um, racism, all of the things that we need to do better at. Um, and I think if, if we did, we would see, continue to see improvements in getting folks in care and getting them, you know, treated appropriately. And Lisa tries to tackle that stigma using mobile technology to reach people where they're more comfortable to share or respond to health information. We've been doing technology-based interventions for many years. Our intervention started with really sort of just delivering them using a a computer. So folks would log in at a location and kind of be provided with information. And then the world changed and folks, you know, have access to basically computers in terms of their smartphones all the time. They're with them all the time. They're usually the first thing they check in the morning and the last thing they check at night. It allows us to reach people in a more personal way. They, you know, sort of have access to them and it allows patients and and, and participants to have access to information from us, again, at the convenience of uh, their own convenience and their own time and and for how much time they want to, to invest. 
So it allows, I think, sort of a, a greater connection, actually, to, to healthcare and to health information, you know, particularly for youth, which is, you know, a population I work with or stigmatized um, or other marginalized populations that uh, may not be comfortable accessing healthcare. Um, the internet and, and sort of mHealth type interventions provide, can provide information that may, they may not otherwise access. By using mobile technology, healthcare workers are able to reach the people who need the information the most. We know who continues to be most, you know, infected and affected by the epidemic. It's sort of these vulnerable groups. We know that it's not simply just individual risk that puts them sort of at risk for HIV um, and that there's other things that we need to address. So I think it's really sort of crucial that we just think about um, how to reach populations that aren't you know, sort of in the typical, you know, catchment of, of prevention, um, that may not access prevention, that may not have access to health care, that have other more kind of um, pressing competing priorities in their lives. And so how do we sort of make sort of what our priorities are for them important and how do we incorporate it into their lives rather than sort of continuing to force people to incorporate into sort of the things that we think they should do. And I think that certainly with, with M Health and, and, and sort of online interventions, the ability to empower patients and participants to sort of have control over their own sort of health and their sexual health is a really important, important thing. I think the key piece is that the way to really address it is to find everyone who's positive and get them tested and get them in care and get them undetectable. And if we could do that, um, it seems simple, but if we could, you know, do that and then, you know, get everyone who is it, who needs to be on PrEP, on PrEP and adherent to it, we could actually kind of reverse all of these things. I mean, I think, you know, what we know is that there really is no digital divide when it comes to sort of access to, to smartphones. And this is, um, at least in the U.S. And so we have a means of providing information and providing access to skills and, and um, other ways to sort of engage folks in their health through, it, through something that is, that is accessible to, to all. Even in sort of the global um, world, you know, access to, to technology is, is continuing to increase. It's, it's still not quite where we are here, but we're getting there. And so it, in some ways, it sort of levels the playing field and, and gets sort of you know, the information and, and the access to those that may not have it otherwise. And reaching these people is the first step in trying to get them to follow their treatment or prevention plans. To get your message across, you have to engage people. Right. So, you know, you can have all of the great interventions in the world, but if people don't come to them, if people don't listen, if people don't even sort of notice that they're for them, then they're not useful. And so I think mobile phones and, and smartphones and sort of M Health in general, it allows us a platform to try and make our messaging and our interventions more engaging. If we can engage folks, then we can we can kind of have a chance at behavior change. Lisa says the key to engagement is keeping them engaged. So we know, you know, most apps that are downloaded on any iPhone or Android um, device last, you know, less than a day. So how do you design something that keeps youth, um, you know, or other populations engaged long enough to get the benefits of what you're trying to deliver? Um, and I, so I think, you know, for us, the next phase of this type of work is really trying to figure out how to do that in a world where you're competing against apps and um, you know, video games and other you know, um, technology advancements that are going to have much more money backing them, be much more exciting, much more fully developed and engaging 
So how do we, you know, how do we sort of, you know, set ourselves apart and, and at least create something that, that is usable and friendly and does show, you know, behavior change? Lisa tries to answer that question as the principal investigator of Carolina's Behavior and Technology Lab. It's really sort of me and, and some collaborators, um, Kate Messig, who's in the School of Public Health, and then, you know, a lot of project coordinators. And, and so it really, BATLAB is sort of the sort of the name that encompasses all of our, all of the research that we do. You know, our goal is really to address, you know, sexual health, um, whether it be HIV or STIs, for um, uh, using technology um, with a focus on, you know, on uh, those with, you know, or vulnerable populations, whether it be related to sexual identity, gender identity, um, race, um, age. She's also the principal investigator for the UNC Emory Center for Innovative Technology, or ITEC. Lisa received a five-year, $18 million grant from the National Institutes of Health to create the infrastructure of the center and initiate studies focused on youth at risk for HIV or already infected with HIV across the country. Each of the studies has um, two principal investigators that are either um, you know, here or at other sites around the country. We have nine ITEC sites around the country where we're doing the research. We have three cores, so we have a management core, which I lead here at UNC. We have an analytic core, which is um, run by uh, folks at Emory and UNC. And then we have a technology core, which is also run here and at UNC, that, again, facilitates kind of the development of the interventions and measurement of usage and then um, some other novel technologies like home and, and uh, home STI testing. So iTech is sort of our our beast. It's the largest, quote, project that BATLAB runs because it's, it's huge in, in, in terms of its reach and the number of, I think we have about 160 people that are in some way affiliated with iTech. We are just starting year three. So it's a five-year award. We're, we're hope, fingers crossed, that it would be something that we could reapply for. It's taken us a few years to get things rolling. I mean, you know, we had, it's, it's basically a network of studies that we're running that we started from scratch. Some of these studies are independent, some run in parallel to one another, and some actually compete against one another. Um, there's sort of two pilot studies, uh, two apps. One's called Lynx, and one is called My Choices. They're both apps that aim to increase HIV testing and PrEP uptake. We're doing some pilot work with them, and then if they're both found to be kind of feasible and acceptable, they'll be compared head-to-head in a kind of a, a trial called Compare that'll be kind of in, uh, uh, starting later this year. I think the other piece, though, is that we do a lot of collaboration. So we have um, research network PI calls where we have monthly calls with the research PIs that are working on their projects and with the site PIs and with the cores so we can learn from you know, everything that's being done. We have a lot of centralized recruitment and, and retention procedures. So we're not, it's not sort of so independent that, um, you know, we, we continue to make use of what we learn, you know, in the network to improve the other studies. And Carolina is the perfect place for Lisa to do this innovative work. Well, I mean, I've been here since 2001 um, when I came to get my fellowship. And I mean, I certainly wouldn't be successful without having been here. The environment, the, the resources, the mentorship and leadership from my boss, from Mike Cohen and, and, and Joe Iron, and, and, and then, you know, sort of the support of colleagues of, you know, just sort of bouncing ideas off. You know, I think it, it's certainly 
facilitates, you know, ability to, to do the work that we do. And then, you know, we've, we have a great ID clinic where I see patients, but we're also many, you know, we've recruited many folks to engage with the interventions we've developed over time. So I can't really see myself anywhere else. I'm sure there are other places to do really good work, but there's, there's never been a time where there's been sort of um, something I've needed that I haven't been able to kind of get, um, whether it's intellectual or infrastructural support. If you have a story idea for Well Said, or would like to just let us know what you think of the show, please send us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu or tweet us at unc. Thanks for listening to this episode of Well Said. See you next week.